Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Welcome back to the Game Plan Podcast here on 1029thegame.com. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. A lot of activity going on still for the Seahawks. They're taking their sweet time rounding out their signings in free agency and their roster, and they are being frugal at all costs, really. That's the theme I'm coming up with for this offseason of Seahawks signings. And Brian Perkins joins me. Um, Sheldon Richardson ends up signing with Minnesota. We talked a little bit about that last week and signs for $8 million on a one-year deal. How does that affect the other interior alignment signings that Seahawks have had? We're going to talk about that. Also, the running back depth is getting some clarity with a familiar face being brought back to the fold. What is the most updated look at the Seahawks secondary after the departure of Richard Sherman and a couple more signings and a trade that's now been voided? We'll talk about that as well. But let's start right here, Perkins, with the offensive line and a key signing that was made last week, actually one day after our podcast aired last week, and it was DJ Fluker, uh, first-round pick from 2013, most recently with the New York Giants, injury-plagued season last year, but a one-year deal that totals $1.4 million and in guaranteed money, just about uh, 800000 in base. Um, a pretty frugal signing for the Seahawks, who get a high-ceiling prospect now in DJ Fluker on their offensive line. Yeah, I mean, Fluker is interesting because, you know, last year when you think about the Giants' offensive line, you do not think of positive thoughts, right? Like, that was a disaster. And next to Seattle, I mean, I don't know if there was a worse offensive line in the NFL. Yeah, it was ugly. Uh, It was really, really bad. But when Fluker was healthy, they did look better. Now, when you look at, like, his pro football focus grades, pass pro was not nearly as effective as, as run blocking, for sure. But I think, first of all, DJ Fluker is not a small individual. No. Let's start there. We are seeing Seattle, and this is probably you know due to the Solari hire, we are seeing a shift a little bit in terms of the type of offensive line they're looking for, right? You know, the George fans of the world, um, unfortunately for him, maybe doesn't fit in as well with, with, with what they're looking for in offensive linemen anymore. It's not as much the maybe converted tight end, athletic uh, individual he wants Maulers, man, and you can tell. Like, you know, you were thinking maybe a Fetty would move back inside to right guard because he likes his his guards. Solari does historically to be Maulers, to be big guys. But you look at what what they bring in with Fluker. I mean, this man is enormous. So you have a, a huge right now right side of your offensive line, and then you see the the reports that Posick is already up to 322 this year. He's gained yeah. 12 pounds this off season. That's amazing. And he, I think, weighs the least of all five offensive linemen that are projected to start right now. So this is going to be a different look offensive line. It's going to be guys that are, uh, you know, they're going to want to manhandle some of these defensive players. And I'm kind of excited to be honest with you. I know Fluker is not like a blow your hair back type of signing, but they get him at, like you said, a real bargain price, you know, under $1.5 million in terms of cap hit for the year. And he's a young guy. And he fits into what Solari's vision is. And I think that if you trust Pete Carroll, if you trust John Schneider, 
to make the right hire and to make that change like they did this offseason, then you have to trust that Solari's going to come in and, and be able to find success with the type of guys that he wants, and they are bringing in the type of guy that he wants. Yeah, you're right in saying that it's more consistent with a run-oriented theme of their offense that we've been discussing could be a possibility with Brian Schottenheimer's hiring. Uh, as for Fluker, you mentioned he's big. six foot five, 345 pounds. That's a big boy. He just turned 27 years old this uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, first round pick of the Chargers back in 2013. He made the Pro Football Weekly all rookie team in 2013. So he had a strong year um, as a rookie in this league. He also played for the Giants, of course, last year, limited to six games. But the Giants, as a team, rushed for an average of about 110 yards per game in the games that Fluker played. And without Fluker, it was more like 98 yards a game. So about a almost a 15 yard difference in in rush yards per game for the Giants when Fluker played and when he didn't. Now. Is that a direct correlation as as for his playing as opposed to his absence? Might be overstating to say that, but we do know that his skill set is uh, is most observed in the run game, and so we're probably going to see that highlighted a little bit more this upcoming season than it has been in the past. And this plays into what you and I have been talking about this entire off season. All the changes that this team has made has been conducive to a better run game, right? right. Whether it's Schottenheimer coming in, whether it's Solari coming in, whether it's the type of guys they're bringing in, like it or not, that that is what it looks like Seattle is going to try to move back into that direction of a more run-intensive offense. And we'll, we'll talk about who is going to run the ball here in a second. But right now, with the Fluker signing, here's how the updated uh, depth chart on the offensive line looks. You still have Dwayne Brown at left tackle. Everybody's pretty confident in his current skill set. The biggest question around Brown now is... How do they negotiate some type of extension with him that makes sense and is financially suitable for the team, given they invested a second and third round pick ultimately for his acquisition? That's a huge question. At left guard, then, will be Ethan Posick, who you mentioned is much heavier and bulkier uh, this offseason than he's ever been. And he's shown improvement in his rookie year for sure. So he's going to profile left guard for now. Center, Justin Britt. We know that he just got extended through 2020 now is when he's under contract with the Seahawks. His uh, position changes have been well documented as well from right tackle to right guard and ultimately to center. You know, ultimately, I feel like for Justin Britt, center is not his best position and it never will be. But at this point, he should stay there. It's one. That's kind of where I'm at right now. So where, what's his best position in your mind? I think right tackle is probably where he's most suited and probably where he profiled the best coming out of college. I mean, that's just where he was supposed to play. Which is interesting because, you know, when he played right tackle, he was not a very popular uh, figurehead among Seattle fans. I couldn't tell you the last popular right tackle. Sean Locklear? <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. But but what, what I'm getting at a little bit with that is it's interesting you say that because you and I speculated a couple weeks ago that it's possible that they do something with Britt, maybe try to move him, save some money, and move Posick to center. Because he can play that position as well. He's known to play it. So it's interesting that you say that, that you think he might be a better fit. I'm not sure if the team agrees with that. Just because, based on the options that they had. Well, that's what I'm saying. Here, here I think ceiling. You know, We're talking about Brit, how he performed as a rookie in the NFL at right tackle. That's not easy. But I'm talking yeah, about... Yeah, it's kind like, of unfair a little bit almost. Just you know? skill set ceiling. I thought Britt's ceiling was highest on the edge at right tackle. Yeah. I think his ceiling was significantly lowered as he moves inside. 
was it necessary at the time, given the other players on the team? I think that's one of the natural consequences of the Max Unger-Jimmy Graham trade. Is you lose Justin Brett playing his best long-term position by sacrificing an all-pro center for Jimmy Graham. And instead, you bring in Britt now. And I think it's now it's too late to move Britt. I think he is established as a center. But my overall point there was, you know, I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, uh, shout out Ringer NFL show that does really good work. And Robert Mays was mentioning a conversation he had with Josh Sitton, who is was the long-term right guard of the Packers, played for the Bears last year, and now just signed a deal with the Jaguars. And Sitton said, when asked, What's the effect of asking an offensive lineman to move positions? He said, it's like asking someone, you know, I'm parting my language, but it's like asking someone to wipe their ass with the other hand. You know, how you could feel, you could picture in your head how unnatural even that would feel. <laughs> That's a great analogy. It's a great Josh Sitton quote and a great analogy. But it, you know, it struck me as like, well, you know, I never think about how difficult it is for an offensive lineman to change positions, especially interior linemen. I just figure that a guard can learn center, can learn left guard, can learn right guard. But, for, but you know, it's much more nuanced and challenging than that. It is different languages. It might not be the same thing as a tackle learning center, but now you got Justin Britt that's learned all of them. And that has to have significantly impeded his growth at the position, I think. Well, think about Seattle in general. They've I mean, they've had a plethora of guys that have been in that situation that you're talking about. You know, even a Fetty, right, goes from right guard to right tackle. I mean, not only – I mean, he didn't switch sides of the line, but he did go to two completely different positions where right. you're facing off with completely different types of players, right? And I think you have to honor that transition as being a significant one, even for one position over. It's just different, especially in cable system, but I think in any system in the NFL. Well, and even, I believe, Fant, right? Didn't he start a guard – and moved outside before yeah. he eventually found his position out there, you know, due to injuries, obviously. I mean, you've seen guys on this line move around constantly, and you have to wonder, I mean, based on what he said there, I mean, I wonder how much that did impede him. And, and that goes to show you a little bit, too, that Seattle did not appropriately evaluate or correctly evaluate the guys that they were bringing in. If you have guys that are constantly changing positions like that, you know, constantly having to, to move around, and not able to stay and grow and learn a you know one position in the NFL, especially these young players that they've brought in. I mean, how much did that affect this offensive line in a negative way? Right. And that just shows you, I think the the Tom Cable ideal lineman. I mean, was not working. I mean, if that's if that's what they had to do time after time. I think we're still coming to terms with the fallout of of this philosophical shift. I mean, it was a wholesale shift with Tom Cable philosophy and personnel it was doing things different from anybody else even other teams that were running zone blocking schemes it was just so different that to end it to cut off that branch at the bud not that it was going to bud anytime again soon but to cut it off it's going to take growing pains literally i think to redesign the run game shift i don't i don't picture you know, and I, I go back and forth with this, but I personally do not picture immediate positive change in the run game. I picture it more as being gradual. That being said, I know things are fluid and can change quickly. And, you know, maybe Mike Solari 
has the guys that he wants to implement a strong run game. But but I'm not so sure that Seattle's run game will go bottom of the barrel to top 10. Yeah. <laughs> not in the span of a year for sure. And maybe it'll take a couple or three years. I think what you're looking for is to not be in the 30s. Yeah. And to hopefully be in the teens, right? I think is I think that's top twenty. I think that should be the goal. I mean, for this for this team, yeah. And that's for a couple of reasons. First of all, yes, you have Britt at center, you have Brown at, at left tackle, but Posick is what his second year in the NFL. Yeah, switching positions technically. Uh, yeah, again, you know, you talk about Afedi, his second going into his second full season at right tackle. And then you're bringing in a guy like Fluker, who's a bit of a wild card. Like he fits the the profile physically. There's but, always health concerns with him too. And there's health concerns. Yeah, you know he missed some time last year. But but I guess that's kind of what I'm what I'm saying is while I get what they're doing and I'm happy that at least they have a vision and they're sticking to it and they're changing things up a little bit um, when it comes to the type of guys they're bringing in and hopefully there will be just more continuity in general with with what they're trying to do and the guys that they bring in. Uh, with that being said, you're right. It is not going to be an overnight change because you still have a lot of the same familiar faces on there, and a lot of these guys are really young and are not going to go from zero to hero overnight. It's just not going to happen. I still think there's a lot. F- this is going to be on Mike Solari's plate ultimately, you know, because he's going to have it's a hodgepodge of guys to work yeah. with to try <laughs> to get results out of. Continuity is one thing. Execution's another. Learning a new philosophy for the guys that have been there already. That's a whole nother thing. Health is another factor. I would imagine they might sign a couple more peripheral offensive linemen with the remaining cap room that they have to try to uh to try to keep getting bodies in there because you have to guard against the the injury factor too. You really do. And and I think that another thing that's going to slow this process down a little bit is just the fact that um OTAs you know, non-contact, all the rules now that are implemented. And I'm not saying that the rules shouldn't be implemented. I don't really know enough about it to have an opinion one way or another. But we know firsthand from hearing from a lot of these guys, um, either former players or current players, that the the non-contact rules that exist, even though we've seen the Seahawks try to push some of those rules, um, really impede the growth of an offensive line is a, is a place where that really gets affected because they just don't have as much time to work together as a unit and to train. So this is going to be a long process that is not going to be fixed in 2018 to me, like a total fix. Like right. I, I think that we should all have the expectation that it's better because it's hard to imagine it being much worse. But to think that this is going to be an offensive line that doesn't allow, you know, it's not going to let a guy in every now and then that's going to average four and a half yards of carry because of, you know, them moving guys around. I just don't see that as a reality this season necessarily. But I also don't think that this team, not that they're going to throw away 2018 because you have a franchise quarterback and you're not going to have that mentality. But I think 2019 anyway is more of, of what they're gunning for in terms of making a legit run at a Super Bowl. So with that being said, you can get a full season under your belt. You can figure out you know what some of these guys are made of and uh, give them a chance to grow together. Yeah, funny you mentioned that because I don't disagree with 2019 being more realistic than 2018 as of right now. Um, you know, that being said, and we're talking about the offensive line, and I come up with the question, you know, what would what game, what matchup would be the best barometer to judge Seattle's offensive line progression next season? And we're going to get the schedule Hopefully sometime around April 14th, which is about two weeks away from uh, the time of this recording. But we do know already that they're going to play the Rams twice. And speaking of 2018 being a sacrifice to the gods, uh, Dominican Sue just signed for one year 
14 million dollars with the LA Rams last week and now you've partnered him on the interior of a defensive line alongside Aaron Donald and already with Michael Brockers rushing from the end and we know Brockers has had great games against the Seahawks and is a great pass rusher in and of himself how scared are we <laughs> of the two matchups with the Rams this season this oh, is going to be crazy it is i mean the Rams are using the Seahawks formula a little bit of young quarterback, relatively minimal contract. I mean, he's he's getting more than Russell Wilson was making, considerably more, but still, he's not making $20 million a year, right? This is your chance right now. They won 13 games last year? 12 games last year? Whatever it was. No, they won 11 games last 11, year. 11 yeah. games last year. You know, they get bounced, obviously, in, in wild card round. But this is a team that I think when you look at the division right now, and if you're the Rams and you're anticipating the Seahawks having a down year, um, we'll call it a transition year. Let's call it that. A mm-hmm. transition year. And the 49ers are probably in that same boat, to be honest. Um, I I don't know who's better right now, honestly, the 49ers or the Seahawks, but the Niners are probably still a year away from contending, right, at least? Maybe. I mean, they have uh, they have a lot of cap room. They won five games in a row to end the season. They've definitely got their quarterback. They've got a full off season for Garoppolo to grow with Shanahan. I mean... Sky's the limit for that offense. I think supporting cast with them is always a question for sure. I, I just think from a talent perspective, but, they're not yeah, quite there yet. I mean, probably uh, not. Not quite to the level of maybe where the Rams seem to be. Yeah. And I would expect, you know, going into the offseason, I would think, well, you know, the Rams were good last year. Was it an, an anomaly? Or, you know, because we see this, right? We see teams that, you know, maybe play a, a second, third, or fourth place schedule and they win 10 games. They win 11 games. They go to the playoffs. The next year, they win six games. It happens quite frequently in the NFL. And the Rams this season, if you look historically, has definitely been more of an outlier than it has been the norm. Now, new coaching staff has a big effect on that. But you look at the guys that they brought in, and they are still being aggressive, trying to bring in big-name wide receivers uh, to help bolster the offense a little bit. Um, You look at that and you go, wow, they are really trying to just reload. You know, Tlaib comes in. This is a team that is not going to settle and say, well, we won 11 games last year, so, you know, we'll just keep doing what we're doing and, and we'll win 12 games next year and, you know, it'll be a contender. No, they are acquiring talent right now by the bucket load. And, I mean, you're right. It is going to be a big-time test for Seattle next season, at least two weeks out of the season. <laughs> we know uh, Tremaine Johnson, the cornerback with the Rams, signed with the Jets, and their middle linebacker, Alec Ogletree, was the other departure. He went to the Giants uh, in a trade, I believe. And, yes, the Rams are being involved in discussions, apparently, with Odell Beckham Jr., but it looks like the Giants are asking for two first-round picks, which is a high price. but For a wide receiver. For a wide receiver, yeah, with uh, with off-field issues. But, you know, I just think of that Ndamukong Sue Aaron Donald pairing and knowing that each <laughs> Sue and Donald, more notably Donald, but Sue as well has had highlight reel games against Russell Wilson in the past. Um, Donald has it every game. And what? how can this not work? I mean, it looks like on paper it's just going to be complete dominance for any team to go up against that interior line. But is there any chance the Seahawks have to, to be able to stop them? At, at in any of the matchups, you know, I'm just I never root for injury, but I think aside from injury, I'm having a hard time seeing how Donald and Sue won't be one of the most dominant tandems on the inside of of any tandem in history. Yeah, and it's funny because we we said this about the Seahawks going into last season, and we did look and what happened exactly. So you know, you never know what's going to happen just with injuries and a bevy of things. You know, does age? You know, Sue is still pretty young, but does age catch up at some point? You know, this and that. 
The one thing I would I would say to that is I think there's a couple factors too. How early are they going to play the Rams? You know, right. Is it going to be week two? Is it going to be week one? Is it going to be week three? Later the better, right? The later the better because it gives these guys more time to gel. So that's, I think, one question that plays into it. And honestly, the rosters aren't set yet. There's still so much left here with the draft. Free agency, there's there's guys out there still. Um, I don't know if there's any different. You know, there's not going to be really many difference makers probably that are left. But, you know, I, I do think that it's kind of hard to have that discussion yet until we get a little bit closer, you know, once once the draft is done. Some of these long-term contracts are finalized. Those are the things that are going to really give us more of a, a tale of where Seattle stands in comparison to the Rams. Running back position, we talk about the run game. They already have Chris Carson, obviously, being the uh, seventh-round pick from last year out of Oklahoma State. But they also bring back a familiar face. Mike Davis resigns with Seattle in free agency for one year, $1.35 million, but the only guaranteed is the $350,000 that he gets as a signing bonus. Uh, field goals... Uh, was making a point of this that Seattle was being shrewd because they had a decision whether or not to offer a uh, restricted free agent tender to Mike Davis. They chose not to and let him be unrestricted. We talked about him visiting the Rams not too long ago, but ultimately he comes back to re-sign with Seattle. By signing him without the tender, Seattle basically saved between five hundred and fifty and $750,000. So, you know, we're talking thousands still, not millions, but we're still talking shrewd financial moves at the base of it. So chalk another good one up to uh, John Schneider and Pete Carroll for sticking tight to their pocketbooks at all costs right here. That might not seem like a lot of money, but what is one reason that fans believe last season was derailed? What was the one position they felt like the, that oh. kicker, right? Kicker. Oh, yeah, yeah, kicker. kicker. Was, and I why, mean, if you, have a, if you have a better kicker, you might make the playoffs, obviously. Why couldn't they go and, and find a new kicker? Absolutely no. They didn't have Zero. an extra $550,000. No, That's no they sure. did not. So it may not. It may seem like chicken scratch in the scheme of, you know, you look at the, uh, the, the, the salary cap in the league, but it's a big deal. I know you like both of these guys. I'm not sold on either as a long-term solution because mm-hmm. I, I think that there are – there's a laundry list of guys that have had good seasons in the NFL and then fall off the face of the earth. Um, and neither of them can seem to stay healthy. So b- both of those things are concerns to me. And I still think Seattle drafts a running back relatively high this year mm. in the first four rounds. If you were to guess what kind of back, would it be like the power back type guy that, that can carry the load that can finish at the goal line? Or would it be more of the, Recent surge of backs, like the scat backs, the third down backs that can play more than one down, like the Kamara type. I'm not saying that talent, but that type of of pass catching back that can be a Swiss Army knife. Well, I mean, I think that they they definitely want that, right? You've seen them make decisions like ProSize. You know, you look at a guy like ProSize who can't stay healthy, gosh darn it, because he's so talented. Um, Still under contract, right? I think so, yeah. But that, what was it, an ankle injury last year? Yeah. I mean, he missed the whole season, right? Didn't he because of the ankle injury? Or not the whole season, but... Just about, yeah. But pretty much, I mean, you, you you heard like, oh, he's out with an ankle injury. You're like, oh, okay, he'll be out a couple weeks. And then it's like, oh, 10 weeks pass by, okay. So I don't know if they're necessarily going to look for a guy like that again. I mean, clearly they like that type of player. Um, and I think that the type of player they draft will depend on how much they believe in these two guys that they have. I like Mike Davis and Chris Carson simply because of... of- how well they played when they were on the field. Um, I think of the Jacksonville game with Davis in particular, where they gave him the ball four times in a row from their own 20, and he moved it all the way to the 
Jacksonville 25. And they when they had to have a drive, like he just chalked up 60 yards on four carries against Jayville, which was that got me fired up, and that's what stands out about him. Carson had a lot of great runs, but obviously his season ended week four against Indy. So, you know, I guess it was a freak injury of sorts, but still, I mean, health is always a concern. But I could imagine myself being excited. I even am at the possibility of Davis and and Carson staying healthy for a full year together and being the two main backs. I could see both of those guys have given health, have uh, kind of resurgent years and, and really help Seattle out. Well, based on where we think they're headed in terms of their identity, they're going to need some consistency there. Since Marshawn Lynch has left, I mean, how many starters have they had? Um, you know, coming coming in and out of that of that lineup. I mean, they have had so many different guys at the running back position, and you know they value it because they were willing to pay Eddie Lacy what they paid him last season to come in and be essentially useless for you know sixteen games. But that's why I think that they are going to be willing to draft someone if they if they see someone they like. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they use a high pick on him. Didn't Mina Kimes do that ESPN profile on Eddie Lacy last year? Or am I imagining that? Maybe it was somebody else. I know Mina did the profile on Tyrod Taylor. And I love Mina. And Aaron Rodgers. But if she did, and Aaron Rodgers. But if she did, well, include that one. But if she did the one on Eddie Lacy as well, that's over three on the <laughs> on the great pieces. Those guys all had terrible seasons. Rodgers. <laughs> Couldn't do anything about it, but yeah, Tyrod didn't have. A it's like the new Madden either. curse, yeah, the Kimes curse, the Mina curse. Um, <laughs> let's quickly talk backup quarterbacks because Trevon Boykin got uh, was a subject of an investigation into an alleged domestic assault from earlier this week, and I believe he was charged a couple of days ago from that uh, incident in Dallas. It was pretty gruesome reading the details of the allegations, and uh, to be honest, he doesn't really have. Uh, the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you know, I've been, uh, you know, early in my career here at this station, we were talking to Oregon TCU in the Alamo Bowl, and the night before the Alamo Bowl, Boykin gets arrested in San Antonio in a bar fight, doesn't even play that game. Um, you know, he's had allegations against him in the past. He's had issues with the law in the past, and now this. This is just, he couldn't have afforded afforded to do this. I'm glad the Seahawks decided to part ways with him frankly, regardless of what comes out of this, because just simply the allegations and the details of the allegations, that means regardless of not if they're 100% true, if they're 5% true, release his ass. Don't need him around. What'd she do, break her own jaw? I mean, yeah, a, a little bit, I, I agree with you. There's a track record there. I mean, sorry, what, I say that a little bit flippantly, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Like when you look at the evidence, it's, I mean, he's been arrested for it. There's clear, you know, it's not like you can just go, yeah, he broke my jaw. I mean, I'm totally talking normal and I, every, you know, there's no damage visible, but he totally did that. No, that's not what happened. You're right. They needed to cut ties with him. And quite frankly, I'm surprised it took this long because he has gotten quite a few chances, especially for a guy that's a backup in the NFL. I mean, not, you know, never really considered to be a, a, you know, a threat to be a starter in the league at all. He has gotten numerous opportunities. Well, he's shown, I mean, he's got physical talent sure. to be a backup. And he's a good <laughs> compliment to, to Russell Wilson in that regard. Skill set. If, if Wilson yeah. has had to miss a game or two, which he or did, a half, you know, he, he had to come out for a time. Like, what was that, week two against the Niners? Or like, there was an earlier game this year where Wilson actually had to leave the field for a few plays and Boykin came on. I can't remember which game, but. Yeah. But, and that's kind of what, what I'm getting at a little bit is you need a guy that. Look, if you're if you are a team and your star quarterback goes down, you're kind of screwed, right. right? For the most part, you're done. 
But if a guy's going to miss a game, two games, a half, and you need someone to fill that void, you want a guy that fits in well with the system. And Boykin did that with just the style of player that he was, which is why when you look at some of the names being floated around, I just I laugh because they're, they're they make sense a little bit given <clears throat> histories and connections with certain coaches, but they're also a little bit comical to me because. I don't see them as a short-term Band-Aid solution for this team. Well, you know, speaking of those names, first of all, Austin Davis, in my mind, seems to be most practical. He is an unrestricted free agent, but he seems to have a good vibe with the team, and it seems like bringing him back on another one-year deal to be the backup quarterback is the most likely scenario. However, Mark Sanchez was floated out in rumors earlier this week. Um, Geno Smith, most recently, I think, is coming in for a visit with the Seahawks. That might have already happened. Uh, yesterday or today, even Colin Kaepernick has been uh, floated out there. I just I don't know if Colin Kaepernick still wants to play football. You know, regardless, I'm not sure what his priorities are. But if his priority is to play in the league again, I wouldn't mind that if he if he helps out the team. I mean, I, I was going to ask by practical, what do you mean by that for Austin Davis? Because he makes no sense to me as a backup in Seattle. What really? No sense. Why? He's played in Schottenheimer's offense in, with the L.A. Rams for two years. He beat the Seahawks with Schottenheimer's offense as the Rams quarterback. Yeah. He's a knowledgeable guy. He's smart, and it's a backup quarterback job. You're, the backup quarterback is not supposed to profile the same skill set as the QB. I mean, if that was the case, there is no other Russell Wilson, truly. There's just guys that can run and maybe throw, but there's no true Russell Wilson. I'd rather have a guy that knows Schottenheimer's playbook well to help with the, you know, film studies and stuff like that. I'm looking more for the intellectual side than the physical talent side at that position. Interesting, because I'm, I'm totally the opposite. I want a guy that, that can come in and they don't have to change the playbook because he can't move. I, I don't like, I don't think Austin Davis is a good quarterback. And I don't think he's a good solution for a team short term, um, especially a team like Seattle. I think Kaepernick is the most practical decision to me. Um, I, I think Kaepernick is a starting caliber quarterback, though. So that's that's where, um, you know, I think that most people or not most people, but some people wouldn't agree with me because I think that he still has a lot of talent and well, I would he's love a great to, short term if, solution. If he if played any time in the last year and a half, then I might believe you. But there's the fact that time is a factor here with Kaepernick. He hasn't taken a meaningful snap in forever. Sure. Um, still, you bring in the Sanchez, Geno Smith. I mean, none of those. Come on. Get out of here with that. Like, there's no way those guys are. You know, I'm you know better than a better option than yeah. Kaepernick. I, 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 it depends on the price too, because price has been a priority with these signings sure, more course. than anything. And okay. I think if you can get Davis for another million and a half, like he doesn't suck. He's he's fine. He's fine. You know, and he knows the playbook. You're laughing at me right now, but he's <laughs> he's he beat the Seahawks that that game, dude. The, the laundry list of guys that have either beat the Seahawks or almost beat the Seahawks are usually like bad quarterbacks. Like, let's be honest, it's the Rams. Like, they always almost beat the Seahawks. Didn't Kellen sure. freaking Clemens, Clemens yeah. almost beat? Like, he was one throw from the two yard line away from beating the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, that was a Monday night game. Wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, that just doesn't mean that much to me, to be honest with you. All right, I, that's that's fair. I don't know. I've been looking at some Schottenheimer offense tape, and Davis was better than I ever thought he was. Well, let's and put it this it's way. It's the backup quarterback position. If you can get him for cheap and he can help with installation of the playbook and, and analyzing game and practice film, I'd rather have that than paying an extra three or four million for Colin Kaepernick. And I don't know how good he is. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you're paying $4 million for a backup, 
Mm. Why? I mean, that's but we don't yeah. know that if he wants to play. First of all, like you said, or or what type of money he would want. We have no idea. You're it's saying kind of speculation. If he wanted to play, and if he costs the same amount as Austin Davis, you would prefer Kaepernick over Davis every single time. Every single and time. that's just purely based on the skill set and talent level that he potentially he's just a better still has. Quarterback. Yeah. Like he's a better quarterback. But what about knowledge of the playbook? That doesn't matter. Well, it it matters, but it's not. I mean, are they going to bring him in like? in the preseason or is he mm-hmm. going to come in would he come in before OTAs I mean that's plenty of time to learn this system and with Schottenheimer everyone's learning the system right in theory I mean aren't they installing something new for everybody yeah, yeah and I would hope that they're still going to utilize the fact that Russell Wilson is mobile next season I would hope that they're still going to have some sort of read option involved in this offense because it is a huge boon to the run game. We've seen that. I mean, that's been a proven fact since he's been in Seattle. Yeah, they went away from it a lot last year, They too. did. They did, and we saw what happened to their run game, mm-hmm. which that's not the only reason, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm saying. Right. I mean, it definitely can help, especially when you have a struggling offensive line. And if you bring in an Austin Davis and he has to come in for a half and you're down a touchdown – I don't know, man. I just feel like, like you have to really change things up if they're if they are indeed going to try to still utilize the mobility. Well, I think, you know, I, I largely agree, but Russell Wilson's mobility largely comes outside the playbook. <laughs> it, it, that, it can. That, that's where it's most. But the threat it, being there matters in the run game. Like it does. The, yeah. The, the threat of running but does I, matter. I don't think you know. Even if you got a Geno Smith or or. <sighs> I don't even think if you got a Colin Kaepernick that the threat would be there as much as we think it might be. I mean, see, I always thought Kaepernick is such a good runner. He and a smart, was and a smart runner. He was. He was. I just don't know. Is he fifty? How... Like what? What are we talking about here? The guy. What's he? Twenty nine years old now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, hell. I just uh, the fact that I mean, I have a hard time believing you can be out of the league for I don't know how long it's been. Has it been two years or is it just been no, a just one a year? year. Just yeah. a year. Because he played, he finished the season for the Niners. He took over for Blaine Gabbert. Right. right. Yeah. And maybe I'm making too much of it, but I'm my default with Cap is you got to prove to me that you're still good, not I'm already believing that you're good. Does I guess this is sense? a good problem to have that we're having a debate over a backup quarterback. Because in the end, whoever they sign, yeah. I mean, Cap Kaepernick being signed would be meaningful for other reasons beyond just him being a backup quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's that element to it. But if we're talking purely backup quarterback – I mean, we are having a bit of a a conversation that's maybe not as important as. I mean, Wilson has missed some time. We've seen, you know, him get injured. The, you know, um, two seasons ago we but, saw, but he's never missed a game. But he's never missed a game. So right. it's, you know, you would assume that he is going to do everything in his power to stay on the field, regardless of what happens. So in the end, will the decision they make one way or another affect the outlook of this team? Probably not. Couple of bullet points: Jeremy Lane, now former Seahawk. Uh, <laughs> pleads guilty to reckless driving to in a connection to a January DUI arrest. He did not stay in his lane. No, he did not. You should change his Twitter handle. Not staying in my lane on Twitter. I, Just, Justin I Coleman. I just don't get it, man. I, I mean, I, I don't get why anyone does it, but you can't afford an Uber, bro. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. I don't know. It's just silly. Justin Coleman signs his second round tender. Um, Field Yates of ESPN says that uh, the Seahawks hosted Chiefs cornerback Kenneth Acker, so they're probably look in the market for another uh, defensive back. The trade that they had with the Browns for, I think his name was C.J. Smith, yeah, for a conditional seventh rounder. <laughs> that fell through because uh, C.J. failed his physical. Well, um, they need more depth there. I, I yeah. still think they make a move there in the draft too, don't you? Absolutely. 
And I'm intrigued to see who from last year's draft can step in and, and have a role there, whether it's uh, Tedrick Thompson, the safety from Colorado that they signed, or um, the kid from Cincinnati that they uh, that they drafted last year. Um, he's got a famous name, and I can't remember. Mike Tyson. Um, oh, yeah, Mike Tyson, who was followed to the practice facility by a crazed fan. Is that Did you right? hear about that? No. It was Mike Tyson and, um, God, who else was it? I can't remember. There was another guy there from the team, and some lady like stopped them at the at the VMAC and was like yelling at them to like get off your knee and play the game. That's <laughs> so weird. I love humanity. It's like, um, wow, you're really passionate about that. Defensive tackle signings that the Seahawks did make too that we uh, alluded to. Tom Johnson, they signed him. They did. Shamar Steven, they signed him. Well, Tom Johnson, though, is a good. Don't you think he's a good 2018 solution? He, I've said this before. I do. Yeah, because yeah. he's like Kevin Williams, um, and you know Tony McDaniel before them. Now, in terms of like who he is as a player, interior defensive lineman on a short term deal. Those guys were each like one term deal, one year deals, I believe, and maybe extended for another year. I don't know if Tom Johnson is as talented as either of those guys, but um, you know. Pair him with Steven, which you can't. Shamar Steven was actually pretty good, too. Like, he's a decent guy. Both guys from Minnesota, ironically enough, after the Seahawks lose Sheldon Richardson <laughs> to the Vikings. So, yeah. Um, but you get them for, you know, $4.2 million total between the two guys. That's half of what the Vikings got Richardson for. So, And I wonder if, they, if this signing means that they're still holding out hope that McDowell will be able to return. Maybe not this season, no. but I'm talking about down the line. Well, we were just talking about their defensive line depth last week, and we're like, hey, how do we feel about Jaron Reed, Nas Jones, Quentin uh, Richardson, Jefferson. Jefferson? Why do I always do that? <laughs> I feel like Quentin Jefferson's supposed to be the name of the NBA player, but it's actually Quentin Richardson, and they yeah. just had a Sheldon Richardson. Now I got all and Richard confused. Jefferson and is, Richard is, Jefferson. Is he still playing? You know, he uh, he <laughs> actually is. Yeah, with Denver, he's in Denver now. That's classic. He's Fifty six years old. So Quentin Jefferson. <laughs> It's still there. <laughs> I mean, Jaron Reed has proven to be a, a good player. I think he's yeah. going to be a long-term solution there. I just don't know if he's can't a have game enough, breaker. Can't have enough depth there. And I don't, I, I'm not convinced he's a game-breaker anyway, but he's right. a really good player. He's a really good player. Right. So I think that with those signings, you feel good about that position. Maybe not great, but you feel good about it. And I think that... At least you have enough bodies there to, to yeah. make an impact. Maybe you see something in the draft, or I, I still think they're holding out hope that McDowell is going to be able to recover from whatever is going on with him um, and hopefully return in either this season or 2019. Frank Clark, Deion Jordan, those are going to be your top two end rushers, you know, so maybe they make a move there. Uh, Barkevius Mingo, we know he's an athletic freak, but he's yet to put together the NFL potential. By the way, between guys like Jordan, Mingo, and Fluker, yeah, it's a lot of former first round pick talent that has kind of refound its way back to Seattle somehow. Well, and Mingo, I mean, I think he can be a good complement to KJ and Bobby, though. I mean, I don't think you were ever going to have someone, you know. And I know that he can kind of flip between, you know, he can kind of be a Bruce Irvin, if you will, a little bit. I have a hard time seeing seeing him profile anything other than what the what Bruce Irvin used to be. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. You know, but man. You know, Deion Jordan, we love him from the Pacific Northwest, all these things. But, and I know that he had a nice, you know, couple games when he was able to play for Seattle last year. You did. And, and the fact that they held him on that roster through those injuries, I think, goes to show that they really believed in him. But he still has a lot to prove. Let's put it that way. The Seahawks did, I think, um, 
re-sign, I think his name was George Moore. I'm having, uh, I'm forgetting it. But yeah, he, I believe, re-signed with the Seahawks on a one-year deal as well. So hopefully that's going to be more defensive end depth too. Anything that we're missing here? I don't, I don't think so. We got to a lot on that. Um, I know Jaron Brown's detail, uh, contract details have been released. We might talk about that a little bit next week too. And just if he can have a primary role and not a secondary role in the passing game offense next year. A lot of rule changes at the NFL owners' meetings, too, that we could get to between the targeting rule. Um, and, of course, the draft is coming up in a month. You can't lower your head anymore. Can't initiate and make contact by lowering your head. Does that so include, that like, a running helmet. back? So it like, does. It includes linemen, running backs, defensers, defensive players, everybody. And it feels like your natural instinct is to kind of, when you're about to take contact, is to is to shrug a little bit and, and compress. I think, yes, I think they think there's a difference between, you know, just bracing for a hit and then initiating contact for the hit too. Because I think a lot of running backs as a defense mechanism become the aggressor. Well, you know, they fixed the catch rule, so they had to create another cluster. Because even if this is a good decision, and I think we'll, only time will tell on this, it's going to be a disaster the first year. Because there's going to be a lot of room for interpretation, there's going to be a lot of missed calls. There's going to be a lot of um, inconsistencies. I have a feeling with this as well, where there's going to be missed calls and then a, a you know, one that was a little bit ticky tack that gets called. I, uh, I don't know, man. It's going to be. Weird. I think it's going to be, yeah, weird. That's a good word for it. But hey, celebrations are back, so they got that going for them. Um, big weekend for you, Brian Perkins. <laughs> Home ownership. Let's go. Let's go. Yes. Congratulations yes. on that. Thank you. Very excited. This podcast made all my dreams come true. We know we will not pod Tuesday next week. I'll just no, say that. Yeah. And then, <laughs> or uh, Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Or Wednesday, yeah. So we'll be back sometime again late next week with another edition of the Game Plan Podcast. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. Follow us on Twitter at Perkins Radio 13, at Judah Newby, and at Game Plan Pod. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.